Well, dear congregation, 2022 may have been a difficult year for you, a year in which you may have struggled, but there's with different challenges health-wise, challenges in relationships, or challenges spiritually. Perhaps this was a year in which Satan especially tempted you and attacked you, a year in which he tried to keep you ensnared in sin or tried to bring you back to old sins. If last year was a disappointment to you, then you might be excited about a new year. You can often look at a new year as a new opportunity, another chance to, to turn things around. Or you might be here tonight and you might be worried that this year is going to be just another year, a year in which the struggles from last year are going to continue, a year in which you continue to struggle with the same sins, the same temptations, the same doubts. Or whatever your present circumstances might be, and whether you're excited or worried about the new year, prayer has an important role to play. We are to pray as we thank God for the blessings of the past year. We are to pray that He would continue to help us in this year with our plans, with our dreams, and with our fears. A new year can be seen as an opportunity to bring about positive change. You may have made some New Year's resolutions in this year. They're not as common as I thought they were, and yet uh, whether you have goals written down, uh, you likely have some goals in your mind. Popular resolutions each year are to lose weight, to, uh, to learn a new skill, to break a bad habit, to save more money. And after making these, new reso- these, these resolutions, these goals, many people start off by doing well. One article I found online said that gym memberships sell 50% more memberships in January than any other month of the year. Yet when people start off well, people don't often end well. Half of those that buy a membership to a gym in January quit by the end of the month. And when you get to October, 80% of people have given up. They have quit. Now, on one hand, that can be very discouraging. But on the other hand, there's 20% of people who still have kept on, who are still going. Well, not only can we make resolutions about health and money, but we can also make spiritual resolutions. Perhaps to spend more time in reading their Bibles. Or as we heard this morning, to, to use the sword of the Spirit as the Word of God to fight against sin and Satan. You also perhaps might be resolving to be more diligent in prayer. If you want an example of resolutions that promote godliness, I encourage you to look up the, the resolutions from Jonathan Edwards. He lived a few hundred years ago, but by the time he was 20, he had 70 resolutions that dealt with spiritual life. He, and at the top of this list, he had this, he had this statement there, this acknowledgement. He wrote, being sensible that I, that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. And then he has a reminder to himself to go back and to read these resolutions every week, to remind himself of these, these, these goals that he had made before God. 
as we think about a new year and possibly about making some New Year's resolutions, let's spend some time this afternoon considering prayer and how prayer fits in with this whole armor of God as we have it here in Ephesians 6. Our theme this afternoon is this, stand being fervent in prayer. So stand being fervent in prayer. You want to see this in three sections. First, why we pray. Second, how we should pray. And then lastly, for whom we pray. So first, why we pray. In Ephesians chapter 6, we have this list of spiritual armor. And then the Apostle Paul turns to prayer. So how does prayer fit in with this armor of God, this armor that God is giving us? Is prayer another weapon that God has given? Well, if you read Pilgrim's Progress, this is what John Bunyan reflects there. And he has this account there as after Christian has fought against that great dragon Apollyon that I mentioned this morning, in which he used that shield and in which he used that sword, the sword of the Spirit, he comes to the valley of the shadow of death. And Christian there, he begins to go through it. And there we have this description of this, this trip through the valley of the shadow of death. About the midst of this valley, I perceived the mouth of hell to be, and it stood also close by the wayside. Now, thought Christian, what shall I do? And again and again, the flame and smoke would come out in such abundance with sparks and hideous noises, things that were not afraid of Christian's sword, as Apollyon was, that he was forced to put up his sword and to take to himself another weapon called all prayer. So he cried in my hearing, O Lord, I beseech you, deliver my soul. And thus he went on a great while, while still the flames would be reaching toward him. So there in Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan is using this, this description of Christian going through this valley. And there where the sword does not seem to be effective, he turns to prayer. Well, certainly we would agree with Bunyan that prayer is an important part of spiritual warfare. That we need to pray to God. And yet, I would argue that it's better to, to understand prayer not as a weapon here, but as a means by which this whole armor can be effectively used. So look again at Ephesians 6. Paul will be using all these, these military descriptions, uh, this, this armor of a Roman soldier. But as he comes now to prayer, he doesn't talk about the spear of prayer. He doesn't talk about arrows of prayer. But he simply speaks of prayer as part of this larger instruction. So what are we to pray for? Well, first of all, we should pray for strength to stand. The main command here in these verses is not praying always or being watchful to this end. But we find the command back at the beginning of verse 14. But we're told, stand therefore. We're commanded to stand, to stand in the face of opposition, to stand while being attacked by evil forces. Well, part of the answer then to why we pray is that we pray for help to stand. That God would give us strength. That God would enable us that when we feel ourselves to be so weak, when we feel ourselves to be being overwhelmed by the things happening around us, that we'd go to God and say, Lord, you call me to stand, but I can't. 
help me. Help me that I be able to stand, to remain on my feet. If you think back to the last time you're struggling with a particular temptation, was that a time in which you were fervently praying to God? Now, this doesn't mean that every time we are tempted that this is a time we have neglected prayer. It's, there's times in which we may be faithfully seeking God, and yet we're still tempted. So don't think just because you are tempted that you have not been praying enough. And yet, isn't it so often true that when we're tempted, that when, when we're giving in to sin, it's in times in which we have neglected prayer, times in which we have perhaps not been as diligent as we could be in studying God's Word and looking to Him for help. It's also true, isn't it, that just because we pray for help, this doesn't mean that our struggle is going to be over. God nowhere promises in His Word that if you pray for something to be removed from you, that God will automatically answer your prayer. You can think here of the Apostle Paul with the thorn that he had in his flesh. Three times he prayed to God that God would remove this thorn. God would take away this this, whatever it was that was afflicting him. But instead of removing it, God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on to say, therefore I will take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we need to pray for strength, strength to stand. But we should also pray that God would help us to use his armor. God has lovingly and graciously given us this whole armor of God. This armor that gives us complete protection from our, from our head down to our feet. God has given us a shield. He has given us a sword. But we need help, don't we? Help to use this armor. Help that we, day by day we would go back to God's word, that we go back to what we have in Jesus Christ. So often we do not use this armor as we should. So how then can prayer help us? In the Reformation Heritage Study Bible, it has in its comments on this section, it says prayer is, is the critical component or part of our warfare reinforcing each piece of our armor. The armor of God does not consist of literal pieces we can put on. Rather, it consists of spiritual truths that the Christian appropriates. That means to take and to apply through prayer. Christians must daily put on each piece with prayer, calling on our great commander-in-chief for fresh supplies of grace and help for combat. So we pray for strength to stand. We pray that God would help us to, to take and to receive this armor and to use this armor. But the third reason that we are to pray is that we are, as we said this morning, that we're soldiers part of this army of God. Now what kind of soldier would you be if you never went to speak to your commander? What kind of soldier would you be if you never went to your leader and asked for advice, asked for direction? What kind of soldier would you be when in times of struggle, 
in times in which you don't know which way to go, in times of, of confusion, you didn't call out for help. Well, the same is true spiritually. As a believer, God is more than your commander. He's also your father. When children do not speak to their father, that is evidence, isn't it, that something is seriously wrong, that something is lacking, something is broken in that relationship between father and child. The same is true spiritually. Prayerlessness is often called practical atheism. One pastor notes that problems in prayer are not fundamentally a prayer issue. They are a relational issue. Why am I so slow to pray? And when I do come to pray, why do I find it so hard to focus my mind? It's not because I need better techniques in prayer. It's because I'm not thinking and feeling rightly about who God is and who I am in Christ. God has clearly revealed himself in the Bible as a God who, who deserves, who demands our praise and worship in prayer. But God has also revealed himself in the Bible as a God who loves to hear our needs, who loves to receive our petitions, our requests. So we pray. We pray for strength to stand. We pray for help to use this armor. And we pray as we communicate with God. Are these reasons why you go to God in prayer? Do you go to God and say, Lord, I need help to stand today? Lord, you have given me your word. You've invited me in the gospel to come and to cling to Christ. Help me to do so. As you begin this new year, how can you focus more on praying and developing this relationship with God. Speaking to Him, not just as your commander and leader, but also by grace in and through Christ as your Father. This is why we should pray. Let's go on now in our second thought to see how we should pray. In verses 18 and 19, there are four all statements. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication and for all saints. We'll look at the first three of these in our second point. And then the last one for all the saints in our third one. If you look at verse 18, we see how it calls us to to be praying always. This is certainly not unique here to Paul in Ephesians. This call to be praying always, we can see it throughout the New Testament. Jesus says in Luke 18 that men ought always to pray and not to faint. In Luke 21, watch therefore and pray always. In Romans 12, rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Perhaps most well known to you, 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Is God calling us here to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week? We know that's not possible, is it? You cannot pray when you're sleeping. You cannot pray actively as you're sitting in class and focusing on your teacher's instruction. 
If you're having a conversation with a friend or a coworker, you cannot be praying the whole time. So what does this call mean? Well, we cannot always be praying in that this nonstop 24-hour-a-day idea, there does need to be regular, ongoing prayer. To pray so often, that's like we are praying all the time. It doesn't mean just pray once in the morning and once at night, maybe at a mealtime, but we should be praying often throughout our day. Well, children, what would that look like for you? What are some ways in which you can pray more often? Well, one way that might help you to remember this and to do this is to pray each time you switch from doing one thing to another thing. Every time you begin to do something new in your day, to pause a moment and to pray, or even to pray while you're doing it. If you think about getting dressed in the morning, you could pray, Lord, thank you for these clothes that you have provided for us in this way. As you get on the bus to go to school, you can say, Lord, thank you that I don't have to walk to school or bike to school. Help the bus driver keep us safe. As you sit down in the classroom behind your desk, you can say, Lord, help me to listen. Help me to learn. Help me to focus. As you see an ambulance go by with flashing lights, you can pray for them. Lord, be with the paramedics. Be with those who are hurt. Be with their families. Bless them, help them. As you see someone struggling around you, someone maybe who's lonely, you can pray for them. Lord, be with this, this boy or girl. Help me to be an encouragement to them. Help me to be a friend to them. Sometimes we have been taught, and in a way rightfully so, that each time we pray, we need to fold our hands and close our eyes. This is a good practice. Keeps us from being distracted by the things around us. But as you say these prayers, as you walk through the hallways in school, as you sit behind the wheel, obviously you can't close your eyes and fold your hands when you're driving or when you're biking or walking. So while this is a good practice, there are times in which you can pray without doing so. But we are to pray, to continue in prayer, not to stop praying. And in one way, this is so simple, isn't it? Would it really be that hard to pray when you switch from one task to another? Yet, don't we all have to confess, and myself included, that it's so easy to go for hour after hour without going to God in prayer? It is God that gives us life. It is God that keeps us alive, that helps us to do our work. It's only by God's grace and with his help that we can do anything. Should we not go to him and ask him for help and and pray for one another in in this way? So we're instructed to pray always. The second all in this passage is that we are to be praying always with all prayer and supplication. Looking at these two words, we have prayer as the more general word You've probably heard it before that you can use acts, A-C-T-S, as you pray. That you begin with adoration in which you praise God. You you adore God for His his goodness, His holiness, His mercy. The next you go to see is confession, which you confess your sins. You confess how you come short. You confess how you need His help. Then T is for thankfulness. 
as we thank God for his blessings, as we thank him for his help. And then S is for supplication, the same word we have here in our text. Well, the word supplication, one, def- one definition I found is that supplication is an earnest or urgent request to God. This also highlights for us, doesn't it, what prayer should be like. There are times in which we should pray earnestly, pray with urgency. And again, this may vary depending on what you're praying for. If you're praying before a soccer game that God would keep you safe, you should pray that sincerely and, and really mean that. But it's different, isn't it, that when you go to God and you pray that he would forgive your sins. Or when you go to him and you pray, pray for a brother or a sister or a parent or a child that's going astray. Or to go with supplication. To go as Jacob did as at the brook as he was going to meet Jacob. Or to go to meet Esau. We have Jacob there wrestling with God, clinging to him, not willing to let him go until, our, until his prayer was answered. This is also true for us. When we pray that God would forgive us, we pray for the salvation of those who we love, we should have this urgency, this burden on our hearts that we keep on going to God, that we keep on going until he hears our prayers. We are to pray with all prayer and supplication. And here too we're reminded, aren't we, that God welcomes prayers of adoration, of confession, of thanksgiving. But he also welcomes us as we come to him with our needs. God is not like a member of parliament. who might be willing to listen to you if you have some major issue. He doesn't want to be bothered with the small problems in your life. But God will... Come, he will hear you. God is the perfect heavenly father who doesn't think that any request or any problem is too small or too insignificant. Now, children, sometimes your parents are busy. Sometimes you go to them and you have things that you want or that you need and they say, well, hang on a minute. I, I don't have time for this. Sometimes your parents get frustrated You've come to them for the fifth time in 30 minutes complaining about your brother and sister and they say, I don't want to hear this right now. Yet God is not like this. We We never read in God's word that he is too busy to hear our prayers. We never read in God's word that he is frustrated because one of his children has come to him again for the fifth time in 30 minutes with this ongoing struggle in which they need help. God calls us to come to pray with all prayer and supplication. We're also to do so in the Spirit. What does that mean? To pray in the Spirit. Is this some kind of special experience, special feeling that we have when we pray? Well, not necessarily. I believe here to be pray by the Spirit is especially to pray in such a way that we are being guided by the Spirit. In the verse before, and what we looked at this morning, we, we, we can see how God has given us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So praying in the Spirit is to have our prayers based on God's Word, to pray as He has uh, taught us in God's Word. 
The Bible not only shows us who we need to pray to, but also what things we should be praying for. God's word makes it very clear that he calls and invites all people to come to him. As the gospel goes out, the call to repent and believe, that all who hear it are called, they're urged, they are commanded to respond. So praying in, in, as it comes to salvation, to matters of salvation, is, is going to be different, though, than, to be, than when we pray about our struggles financially, when we pray about our struggles physically with their health. God has promised that all who come to him will be received. But God has never promised that all who pray for, for more money or for better health will receive it. So praying in the Spirit means that when we pray for salvation, we can come with confidence. When we pray for healing, that we do so humbly. That we do so also being willing to submit to God's will, God's plan. So spirit-led prayer, prayer is, first of all, a prayer that is guided by God's word. But we can also speak of spirit-led prayer as praying in response to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've had it before that you're talking to someone or you hear about something and the thought comes to your mind, I should pray for them. I should pray with them. This is not also the way that the Spirit can lead us in which, by which we are to, to pray for one another, to pray with one another. It's true that not every thought that comes to our head or every burden that we feel in our hearts is necessarily of the Holy Spirit. But when God is leading us to pray for someone, to pray with someone, we should take that seriously. We shouldn't ignore these promptings and these, this guidance. On the second half of verse 18, we come to the third all statements. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. We need to clarify here what this word perseverance is referring to. We have this English word more often in the Bible. We can think of how God preserves his people and how we have a responsibility to persevere, to, to keep on going. And in that sense, that word has the, the picture or the, the, the meaning to remain, to, to stand firm. But the word translated here in our text as persevere comes from a different word. It's not so much to remain or to be steadfast, but it means to have the strength to do something. One dictionary explained it as this, to continue to do something with intense efforts to devote oneself to, to keep on, to persist in. So how are we to pray? We are to pray watchfully. We are to pray with this perseverance, with this persistence. This again is not easy for us, is it? Do not so often pray once or twice and give up. Or we begin to pray, we have these good intentions and then we get distracted. God is calling us in his word to be watchful, to persevere, to keep on going. We're to pray being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Well, that brings us to our third thoughts. 
for whom we should pray. At the end of verse 18, Paul is telling us we are to pray in this way, with this urgency, with this perseverance for all saints. I'm sure you already know that saints here is not talking about what the Roman Catholics believe. But the word saints here simply means one that is holy. Not holy because they are so upright. Not holy because they have their lives figured out because they obey God. But holy because they believe in Jesus Christ. Because by looking to Christ, by believing in Him, they have received His righteousness. They've been made holy because their sins have been forgiven through the blood of Christ. They have been set apart by God to live for Him. So when we are to pray for all saints, it means we are to pray for the believers. To pray for those around us who confess Christ. And this praying for each other is part of caring for one another, for helping one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul had spent quite a bit of time there showing how believers are part of this body of Christ. That Christ is the head and his people are the body. Paul also tells us there that when one part of the body is hurt, that the rest suffer with this. We know this in our personal lives. If you hit your finger with a hammer, your, your whole body experiences the pain of that. Well, the same should be true spiritually. If one of us here is suffering and we come to know about this, we are to suffer alongside of them. We are to care for them. And part of this means that we are to pray for them. Now, how can we pray for all saints? You're here part of a large congregation. In the way this is easier in Calgary where you have a smaller group, it's easier to pray for, for the whole congregation. And yet you too can pray for all of you, for, for each one of you. One simple idea is to, to take the church directory and to keep that by your Bible that you use for evening devotions or that you read after supper. And each, each evening after you eat and you read God's word, you pick the next family in the, in the directory. I looked at your, in the last directory, the picture directory, and there's 153 individuals or families. So if you did this each day after supper, you could pray for your whole church family twice each year. Certainly this is one way by which we can be more involved in praying for one another and heeding this call that we have here. Another example is that many of us are on social media. And in a few minutes of scrolling, you're, gonna, you're going to come across people who are, are excited, who are sharing with you things that they're thankful for. You're also likely to see those who are struggling in different ways. Or people who are going the wrong direction, who are embracing sinful lifestyles or promoting uh, evil choices. Each of these things that you see is an opportunity to pray for them, to, pr to rejoice with those who rejoice, to pray for those who are struggling, to pray that God would stop and to, to bring about repentance in those who are going the wrong way. As you see these things, you can pray, or better yet, you already have the phone in your hand likely. Give them a call. Talk to them. See how they're doing. Pray with them. Such an opportunity here to minister to one another, especially in praying with one another. 
something that we, perhaps from a Dutch Reformed background, often, we are often so slow to do this. This can be such a rich time, such a blessing to pray with one another. Well, there are many people that we can pray and that we can and should pray for. You have the local church. You have the persecuted church. Again, those who are part of this body of Christ, those who you are united with, even though you might not know them, you should pray for them. Pray that God would help them and bless them and uphold them. You can pray for uh, Christians who are in positions of authority, whether it's governments or the legal system or in business, uh, those who have prominent roles in society, that God would help them. Pray for other churches around you. There are many churches in this area. Some we can rejoice with that they are remarkably faithful, that we can have much in common with them. We also pray for other churches that once were faithful but now have rejected the gospel, that God would bring them back, that they too would come to, to preach God's word and to love Christ. Notice here also that we are to pray for all the saints, for all believers. And here too, we don't get to pick and choose which believer we want to pray for. We don't get to say, well, I like this person in church and that person, but I don't like them, so I'm not going to pray for them. It's especially in this context of praying for all the saints that, we're, that we are told to pray with Perseverance despite difficulties that you may have, despite rough interactions, bad history that you may have had with those around you. Let's especially pray about these damaged or strained relationships. First of all, that God would humble us, that God would expose us in any way that we have done wrong, that we would see our faults, that we would confess our faults, and to pray for the other party. Not just that God would help them to see how they hurt us, but that God would help them, that God would bless them in their family life, that God would be building them up, and that together you can be united in Christ. Well, Paul is instructing the church in Ephesus to pray for all the saints, and that includes praying for one another. But Paul goes on also to ask them to pray for him. Paul spends the last two verses on this, or verses 19 and 20. And we can preach a whole sermon just on that, but I want to go through this rather quickly, and we want to see two main things here. Paul's current situation and what he's asking the Ephesians to pray for. Well, Paul's situation is that he is an ambassador, ambassador, someone who is a spokesperson, the prime minister or a king might send people out and he's there to, to speak on his behalf. This is what Paul is. This is what all gospel preachers are. But he's, a, he's an ambassador who is in chains. He's writing this letter to them from prison. And the reason that Paul is in prison is because he was faithfully preaching the gospel. He says that because he was making known the mystery of the gospel. If you want to read more about this mystery of the gospel, you can look back in the earlier chapters in Ephesians. Uh, Paul simply there means that uh, God is making known to the people this way of salvation, 
This way by which sinners can be made right with God in and through Christ. For many centuries this was hidden, but now this is being made known. So there's Paul. He's in prison because he was preaching the gospel. What is he asking them to pray for? Is he asking them to pray he would get out of prison soon? Is he asking them to pray that once he gets out, he won't be rearrested? No. He is telling them to pray for him, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul there is praying that even while he is there in chains for preaching, that he would be helped, that he would be encouraged to continue to preach. Paul was a person like you and me. Paul at times too could be discouraged. Paul too, he, maybe, he might have been tempted to say, well, if I'm going to be thrown in prison for saying that, I'm going to change the message a little. I'm going to tone it down a little bit. But no, Paul doesn't want this. He wants to be faithful to Christ. And he's, going, he's asking them to pray that God would help him to preach the gospel faithfully. That he'd have this boldness. We can apply this also to our own circumstances today. For whom should you pray? You should pray for each other and pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor and all those who preach God's word. Pray for missionaries, for evangelists, those who God has called and raised up to do this particular work. The temptation to preach in such a way that we would please people is real. The temptation to hold back on, on certain applications is always there. The temptation to remain silent when we should speak. I'm sure you face those temptations. And so do pastors. And Paul there is calling on the Ephesians. And I'm encouraging you, pray for your pastor. That he would, be, that he would have boldness to teach you, to preach to you the mysteries of the gospel. That he would be a means used by God to build you up. Well, dear congregation, as we are now already a week into a new year, but let us pray. Let us stand being fervent in prayer. Don't try to go through this new year in your own strength. Don't try to face Satan in and of yourself. But pray that the Lord would give you strength, that he would give you his power to be able to stand against Satan. Prayerfully take this whole armor of God. Take it and ask God to help you to use that shield of faith, to trust in that breastplate of righteousness and that helmet of salvation, that God would help you to use that sword, which is the word of God, that God would help you to fight. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, and having done all, to stand. Amen. Let us pray.